Welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine. What a week it has been. Last two weeks it has been with Supreme Court decisions. So it is mid-June. Goodness, it is June 23rd is where we are. And we are looking at several different decisions. We're going to do some recaps of the two Native American cases as well as the Alabama redistricting case. So that is what we're going to talk about today because those are the hottest legal topics that have just come out. And then we're going to see what happens next week. I understand we have quite a few decisions coming out next week too. Is that right, Dr. Vile? It is. It looks like we should have a good affirmative action case or two. Almost always there's a, either a establishment clause or a free exercise clause case, religion case, and there may be another surprise or two waiting out there. Again, I was disappointed today. I mean, I looked at the the four cases now. Oh my! And oh, from Thursday, yeah. All of them are consequential to the parties, but yeah. Uh, and one particularly, which I don't think you plan to mention. Um, I'll throw it in there. Let's talk about it. Well, I mean, as as a former criminal attorney, uh, this Jones versus Hendricks mm, okay. uh, has to do with collateral habeas corpus review, which is something that only your most sophisticated <laughs> listeners are likely to know anything about. But habeas corpus review is basically a way to move a case from a state court to a federal court. And in this case, uh, and particularly, you know, particularly during the Warren court, there was very wide review. Uh, you know, the court stepped in fourth, fifth amendment cases, uh, a lot of them. And then starting with, I would say, probably the Rehnquist court, the court began saying, you know, we've, we've settled many of these issues. It's in the state courts. We can pretty much trust them. And this decision seems very much uh, along that, that same line. It's the, the, the facts are fairly complicated, uh, but essentially someone's had a conviction mm-hmm. confirmed there is a congressional statute that does still permit what's known as collateral habeas corpus review in a limited number of cases, but the court found that this didn't really fit either of those, and therefore, they, you know, if if any changes were to be made, they would have to be made at the at the state level. Goodness, yeah, that and that definitely so, is technical. It is, and it, but it's well, one of the things that I think we're seeing is a little bit greater deference on the part of the court to to congressional laws and statutes that are in effect. And they gave, you know, this this habeas corpus case has more to do actually with what we call statutory interpretation, Mm. which is what do the laws mean than what, you know, constitutional interpretation, which is, you know, going back to the very basics. So I think it's in line with, uh, with other the decisions, others. and at, at least at least one, maybe both of the cases that deal with the Navajos are, are, are in a similar uh, situation. I agree. Okay, so I'm going to stop you there because in anticipation, we are talking about the week's hottest legal topics, but we are also talking about wine. Um, and I am so sorry I can't share any of it with you. Um, but I have, so we have a... a, a the water that may turn into wine, right? We- <laughs> exactly. 
Um, Just the right person shows up, we'll be fine. <laughs> so we'll be um, anxiously waiting um, for for Jesus to turn the water into wine. And in the meantime, I will drink the wine that is already wine. Um, we have a little shop in our town. So in Gaithersburg, Maryland, there's a little shop. I want to get it right. It is finewine.com. It's in what we call the Rio area. And it's this beautiful little wine shop. Um, and they are experts in what they do. I am not, but they recommended this wine to me. Um, I'm going to try not to butcher the things that it says in the way that it is, but it's Bagaro. Um, and it is, yeah, I'm not going to pronounce it. So I'm going to hold it up closer. I will put it on the video so that you can see, but it's a beautiful rosé. Um, I will put more information. You can see the color is really nice. I'm not sure much about it, but I'm going to drink it. So cheers to the weekly wine. Oh, that's very sweet. I like sweet wines and that is very sweet. It's almost like drinking a dessert. <laughs> almost like a sorbet or a sherbet or something. You hmm. you might Sounds actually like, like it. Yeah, it, it's not, but it feels almost like it. I think it I think you would actually like it. It almost is like a raspberry. Um, as if I'm going to an ice cream store and getting a, a sorbet. Okay, I'm I'm good with your recommendation. I like it. Um, I'll put the bottle in the comments as well as the information on it. And let me introduce you. I'm Virginia Tarani. Most people are used to hearing me by now. I'm the owner of Tarani Law LLC because you never need a lawyer till you do. Operating in Maryland, D.C. and Virginia. And I'm the CEO, CEO, my sister's the COO, the CEO of the Law Unscripted, which is hosting this podcast of the Legal Weekly Wine. And it is Supreme Court season, which is why we have Dr. John Vile with us. He is a preeminent legal scholar constitutional law scholar, knowing everything you can possibly think of about the Constitution, the amending process, constitutional law, the Supreme Court, the Constitutional Convention, and I could name so many more, but you are truly the expert on the court. You are on top of these decisions, which is why I'm so grateful and glad that you are here with us today. Glad to be here. All right, so we have we're we're already discussing this this complicated habeas corpus act, but I think what I want to pick up on is the idea that the court is making judgments, making decisions that are aligning themselves, especially with deference to other statutes and congressional issues. And you know, you wonder in a sense if this is in part a reaction. You know, in Dobbs, the, the abortion decision mm. they overturned basically 50 years of precedent. Now, which that was last precedent, year. Right. That precedent in turn had overturned prior prior cases. Right. Um, but with that exception, so far, they seem to be hewing fairly closely. And I, I guess one of my concerns is and I'm sure not everybody will share this this thought, but in in terms of democracy, deference to the most representative branch, which is usually considered to be the legislature, seems warranted. On the other hand, it's hard to think of a time, in my judgment, where the Congress has been more dysfunctional than it is right now. Hmm. And 
you know, this is particularly true with regard. Uh, now, it's not the first, you know, there have been many times in history where the where Congress has tried to clip judicial jurisdiction or adopt amendments to overturn court decisions. But both sides, one probably more than the other, but, you know, one side is accusing the other of weaponizing the Justice Department. Mm. And I think the side that's doing the accusing has probably provoked more of it. You know, I think the Trump administration, and again, not everybody would share this view, but of course. I think as much as any, they really did, you know, weaponize the Justice Department. Uh, they had a very, in my judgment, partisan attorney general who stuck pretty close to the president. Um, now, they would say, well, the, the Democrats twice impeached uh, Trump and he did nothing wrong. If you think right, he did failed. nothing wrong, right, if you think he did nothing wrong, then yes, that was weaponized. But if you think they're really, you know, if you think he did something wrong and the only reason he wasn't uh, convicted and removed was that his party stuck by him, then you have another situation. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, just yesterday you had uh, the House voting to censor uh, someone who I think led a very credible investigation into uh, the Trump administration. Now, the the impeachment was not successful, but, you, you know, this would be like impeaching, you, you know, trying to fire a lawyer because they lost a case, mm. particularly if the other side had been able to choose the jury. Sure. <laughs> uh, you, you know, there are a lot of cases, but, you know, having having then voted to censor one of these investigators, uh, what do they do? Well, a lot of them now want to impeach Joe Biden. Well, Hmm. give me a, you know, show me a bribery, show me a treason, show me a high crime or misdemeanor, uh, and then I'm willing to listen to you. But it sounds like impeachment, maybe on both sides, but I think particularly on one, has become, you know, it's just something, it it becomes a show. Right. Right. performance. Uh, and it's one reason I, you know, I used to think that I wanted to go into politics and I've <laughs> since decided that if I, if I did, I would have to run for emperor or something uh, because the, the, the notion, the notion of being in a legislature and watching all of this nonsense, I think would probably drive me nuts. Yeah. So, so we do have the cases that we're looking at with the native Americans they seem to be, like you said, very deferential to what Congress has already enacted, treaties with the Native American tribes, um, laws about the Native American tribes. And I guess I want to ask you, in looking at the separation of powers, where we have the original three articles, right, for the, the legislature, the president, and the, the judicial, where are these laws coming from with regard to that separation of power? Well, I mean, if we're dealing with laws, they're going to fall primarily under Article One, Congress's power to adopt laws. Now, what what is interesting is the case today, the the second case involving uh, water rights. The court found it sort of got it right. They say Congress and the president have adopted. Uh, I guess this one was actually a treaty yeah, rather than a law. That's where we're getting uh, is is what is the yeah. treaty involving with the articles versus just a law. Right. Now, the treaty making, I believe the treaty make. well, it's it's divided. You know, the president basically negotiates 
and this is more as much practice as it is the mm-hmm. letter of the Constitution, but the president as commander in chief and as, you know, sort of chief diplomat, he negotiates treaties. Uh, Two thirds of the Senate has to approve treaties. Okay. Uh, so that would, you know, it's a combination of presidential and, and senatorial powers. And are the these cases, the Native American ones, we've got the water rights case and the adoption case. Right. Which and one they, or both of these deal with an actual treaty that would take both rights? The water, right, the water rights case okay. does. The, the, case, the adoption case, which, by the way, I, well, I hate to say the court got it wrong, but I think the court got it wrong. Okay. Or better stated, I think, I think that it's totally appropriate for Congress to sort of lay forth or lay down, these are, you know, these are the priorities that you should have in adoption. But is as that what I they read, did for, for the adoption for our listeners, I guess, um, in yeah. going real quick. So this is the, oh, goodness, Halen versus Bracking. Yes. And I'm maybe pronouncing it terribly, but it's no, where, I'm not sure how to pronounce it either. Um, they are talking, as I understand it, this is the 1978 Indian Child Wel- Welfare Act, the ICWA, um, that it's basically a, a law enacted by Congress, but is it technically a treaty? I don't think so. I think the treaty is, I think the treaty falls in the water rights case. Okay. So not the adoption case. Not, not, not to my knowledge. Um, and ba- you know, basically what the court said, as I understand it, is that the law requires and therefore procedures demand that the most, the greatest priority in Native American adoption should basically be keeping someone, keeping tribal identity. And what's what's problematic about that is, and George Will had an article on this that that I pretty much agree with, is that generally the rights in the Constitution are considered to be individual rights. Mm -hmm. And here you have sort of group rights. Right. Now, I can understand that for... If someone is chooses to remain or live on a, on a reservation and one has identified with a particular tribe, right. then it makes sense to me that by doing so, they are saying, uh, we acknowledge this identity, it shapes who we are, and it would therefore be appropriate to shape who would raise our children. But... In this case, as I understand it, sometimes two or three years after a family has fostered or sought to adopt a child, the Native American tribe says, hey, they're ours. Right. We're making a claim. And, you know, traditionally, and Justice Thomas points this out in his dissent, and, I'm, you know, by no means am I an expert on domestic law, but one of the greatest priority or greatest principles, as I understand it, in adoption is the welfare of the child. Right. And yes, tribal rights are important. And certainly 
you know, if you look back in American history, there have been great injustices done to Native Americans. Absolutely. You and I both have, have been, you know, have seen some of this uh, in, in, in a Native American tribe. And so we're, we're familiar with it. <laughs> but to me, the, what is it? The latches, I guess, is the legal term. It yeah. seems like the law doesn't have, it, it needs a period where if you're going to make the claim, in my judgment, the claim needs to be made relatively early. It shouldn't be, you know, we're familiar with a situation of, you know, a family thinking they have a child, you know, bringing it home, caring for it, and then having it ripped from them. Yes. And the trauma of that, you know, for both, well, sides. you know, for for particularly for those, you know, we're, we're at a time, especially now after Dobbs, if you think about it, um, if Dobbs succeed, you know, if a number of states continue to prohibit abortion or severely limit it, uh, you know, unless people go elsewhere, more children are going to be born that are presumably either unwanted or wanted, but come in a family that's not able to care adequately for them. Right. And I think, you know, to have that decision and then have a decision saying that some outside party if it is an outside party, now again, you know, if you're living on a reservation, if you've claimed membership in a tribe and it seems to be a valid identification, that's one. But even then, mm-hmm. I would think that there there surely ought to be a period. And and so I would have approached this, I think, sort of on a due process grounds. Uh, nothing wrong with what with with the with Congress saying this is going to be our priority. You know, mm-hmm. we. Native American tribes, you know, need, need to be able to have their identity to perpetuate themselves. But I think they lost in losing sight of the best interests of the child. I think they also lost sight of due process guarantees. Yeah, that's interesting because what we it, it's such a strange case because they it did is. adopt one child. Mm-hmm. There is so their their son that they've already adopted is Native American. Um, two different tribes is, I believe it's what Cherokee and Navajo. And I, I, I don't remember, but that's how yeah, I think that's, that's what it was. And, and basically the Navajo placement of that child fell through. So both tribes permitted under this act. So they actually right. followed the act. They permitted right. this couple, the Brackeen couple to adopt their, the son. And then right. the issue now isn't about that son. It's about the daughter that was born, okay. the sister, the half sister. Which half-sister. is a sibling, right? Mm-hmm. Half sister. Yeah. Of the mother had the, the child. Um, so we're back with the Navajo tribe. And she entered foster care. The family has filed for custody because it's his sister, right? And in the normal right. interest of a child, if you can keep siblings together, most right. family law courts will say, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. In your case, it. you might've done better if you had been split. I know, right. <laughs> can you please take my sister? <laughs> okay. Can we do only one adoption and it's harder? <laughs> well, well, wait, she was the one saying to take you. You're right. It's, you got it reversed. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> 
<laughs> so generally speaking, you want to keep siblings together. Um, and it, it seems so kind. I mean, if the same couple is willing to take in a sibling, I mean, what an right. amazing act of love and kindness this is generally looked at. I have, we have, um, you and I both know a couple back in Tennessee where you may not know they're going through this right now, but they have had the, they adopted a child and the mother has now had two additional children and they have done everything they could to adopt both of the other children so that their son has his siblings. Um, So it's a tremendous effort and that's what they're doing, which seems this lovely, amazing thing. But now the Navajo nation is saying, no, we want her placed with a distant relative of the mother. So they are laying claim to saying we'll share custody. We can split custody, almost like it's an ex-wife and husband. Divorce, yeah. Uh, yeah, almost like a divorce custody. If we'll share custody, you can have some, and they'll have some. Um, almost like a visitation supervision type of right. Um, so they have they've appealed it, and it it's weird because on the face of it, when I first saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to take the boy away. And right. it doesn't seem like they're going to take the boy no, away. That's right. That's right. They're, they're partly trying to establish a precedent, and I get right. that. All I'm saying is my reading of the law as it is right now, and you're the lawyer and I'm not, but my reading of the law is that it seems to lack some due process protections in there, particularly in terms of timing. Um, and, you know, and it may be, you know, if if a couple knows up front this child you've been able to adopt, but if they're future siblings, you're not going to be able to, uh, then they can take that into consideration when they make the decision. Right. But it does seem like, it, it, you know, we, we want to, we want to make up for past inequities, but we need to be careful that in doing so we don't create new victims. Yeah. And, you know, what is their attitude going to be? Well, often it's going to be, it's going to be against the very group that, you know, gave them their first child. So right. and, and that's so, the danger there. Well, and that's the interesting, the other interesting thing to me is the, the plaintiffs, this family has actually claimed, well, it's equal protection issue is we're being discriminated against right. based on us well, being white. And that's, you know, that's probably what we're going to get next week. Mm. You know, we're we're going to we're probably going to have. Now it's going to be more than likely in university admissions. The affirmative but, action. You know, it, it it is back to the, you know, when is it appropriate? Uh, and in individual cases, it's certainly appropriate to to make right mm-hmm. past discriminatory conduct. But when that's when that's broadened out to a group, then, you know, it, it may penalize another innocent group in the, in, in the process of trying to, trying to make another one right. And so yeah. That's, and, and for this particular issue, and, and I want to ask you about this part here, the, the court has denied hearing. They didn't deny the equal protection issue. So they didn't say, they weren't discriminated against. They just refused to rule on it, saying that none of the parties had standing to challenge 
the equal protection portion of the case is were they being right. discriminated against because of their race based right. on this this law so it said so the ultimate issue they ruled on was congress had the authority to make this law right and, and the tribes and can enforce it right and and the term you know uh barrett right wrote this decision yes just yeah. the same coning coney barrett and, and one of the fascinating aspects of it is she basically uses the term plenary. You know, Congress has plenary authority over, and that's, and of course, Thomas denies it. Uh, and one of the odd things is when you get to the next case about water rights and about treaties, treaties are made with the understanding that you're dealing with another sovereign. Yes. And, and that's in that what the case, Native American tribes are considered. Right. And in that case, then how can Congress have plenary power? <laughs> I guess they have maybe plenary power with the president to engage in a treaty. But anyway, Thomas, in both in both cases, uh, is particularly concerned about that turn of events. Um, and, you know, Barrett is considered to be or she's young or, yeah. you know, relatively new to the court. A Trump placement. Right. But I mean, she was considered to be to be very conservative and conservatives are usually pretty reluctant to throw around term, anything saying Congress saying Congress has plenary authority over anything right, to expand the federal government power. Right. Right. G generally, they're more you know, these are the enumerated powers. OK, there's some implied powers here, but they're. Now, presidential power, they're often fairly strong on inherent presidential power. But mm -hmm. when it comes to Congress, they're not usually quite that emphatic about it. So, right. you know, I, I don't know if that if that gives us particularly insight into into her or whether it's just an anomaly of this case. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting. Do you think that that they're waiting the idea of these these phrases of, well, it's not yet ripe. There's there's not yet standing are they setting it up where if they've actually filed for adoption and have been refused that in that case they would have standing? Is that the setup here? I don't know. And I mean, again, they probably already know how they're going to decide on affirmative action. Mm -hmm. And once that precedent, if it does, you know, the current rule, basically the current rule is that you can consider race, particularly in admissions when it comes to diversity and whatever, but you can't you can't do something simply on the basis of race. Mm -hmm. um, Which is what so, this law is, is the ICWA gives preference to Native American families for placement, right. and, basically placement based on race. Right. And and it, yeah, and that that would be yeah, that's something of an anomaly. Again, great injustice has been done to Native Americans, Absolutely. and so uh, you know. Some, but but sometimes you're, you know, the force and the counterforce is equal. When you know maybe equal counterforces ends up hurting somebody else along the way. Yeah, it's hard because these do seem like family law issues. And yes. what is the best interest of the child? And the majority seems to say, well, Congress knows what it is. Well, and typically, so, domestic law falls under the 10th Amendment, right? right. These are, you know, property laws, education, yes. 
domestic relations, criminal law, to the for the most, you know, with with prohibitions against discrimination and against, you know, illegal searches and seizures, the, these are decided at the state level. Yeah. And again, generally, your conservatives on the court are those who are very deferential to state control over local matters. Right. And I don't know, I can't remember if it's this week or, or next week that we're going to get into the the transgender issue. Right. But, you know, but one of the issues there, I mean, there, you know, one issue is, well, what is the degree to which this is a matter for the states mm-hmm. as opposed to a matter between, and of course, in Dobbs is the same thing. Right. To what degree is abortion? Is that is that a state issue or is that an issue primarily between a woman and her doctor? Well, and uh, in this case, it, it's it seems like a difference because if Dobbs is giving the abortion rights back to the states, then right. why would the court now give Congress well rights part, over, the, part of the reason, over adoptions? This, and I, I may not have stated it properly, but this is where Barrett's statement, which is repeated in the Snavajo case, in, in the water rights case, that Congress has plenary power right. to deal with this does seem very much at odds with some of the other you know, developments in the law. So yeah. earlier, I thought we saw a convergence in agreeing that Congress has power. But here, maybe there's a divergence between what are we going to leave with the states and what are we going to allow the national government to do? Yeah. All right. So with that, let's check out the the water issue. So we've got the okay. second Native American case, um, also the Navajo Nation. Day, and yeah. yeah, so that was this week. And you have, yeah, Thursday for, let me make sure I've got it right, the Arizona versus Navajo Nation? Yes. And so what what is the issue in this case? We know it's the Navajo Nation. We know it's not adoption. But what law are they working with that's based on Native American rights in this one? Let me say that there's a little bit of dispute between the majority – and the minority as oh, to what the case is about. Close decision, 5-4. Right. And the majority says, and I believe it's 1868, but I'm not positive so. of that. An 1868 uh, treaty, another right. treaty. It's basically a treaty. Or the treaty. The other one was right. the law. Right. Where, you know, the Navajo Nation had been, you know, was, as, as America's as European Americans expanded into the West, they were displacing the Navajos. They moved them for a time, I believe to Oklahoma, but I may be wrong, Montana, Oklahoma. They moved them to a place which was basically barren and where the Native Americans said, we just can't, you know, this is not our home. We can't live here. So they moved them back. Right. They moved them back. Uh, 15 million acres, basically, at least that's what they have over time that's designated as a reservation. And in the last 20 years, there has been uh, a water shortage. Viewers probably know, you know, there's been great concern, particularly over the Colorado River. Right. Uh, It is, you know, it's currently divided. Well, 
the rights to, to water usage on the Colorado River are currently divided among states. And the Navajo, uh, now the Navajo claim that they haven't really been given a seat at the table and that the national government has made promises to them that they haven't kept. But the majority, the way the majority sees it is this is governed by the original treaty, which gave the land to or returned the land to the Navajo. And they say we're going, you know, we're going, that treaty required that we build some bridges, that we set up schools, that we provide seed for three years, uh, and that they had the rights to any water that was there, whether it was in an aquifer or a creek or a river, whatever it was, the Native Americans say, well, you did more than that. You accepted trusteeship. And that, that and, and here, you, your knowledge of the law is going to be better than mine on this. But apparently, there's, there's sort of a, there's a generic trusteeship, and then there's a much more and the Native Americans were saying, you basically promised us when you moved us here right. that we were, we were going to have the water that we need. And the government says, well, we promise you these acres. We promise you that you had access to the water that was there. But we did not promise you a specific amount of water. Uh, the, was a, the, the, the government says, we've done, our job is ended when we guarantee you the access to the resources that are there. The Native Americans say, no, our understanding of trusteeship is you got to give us water if we don't have it. And apparently there are a lot of homes here that don't even have, you know, running water in their own houses, which, you know, in the United States uh, seems to be, you know, <laughs> something that you would find in a third world country rather than right. here. But the, the majority gives a very, I don't know if narrow is a word, but the, the, they basically, I mean, most contracts are, 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 are interpreted fairly narrowly, right? Right. It's, I mean. By the letter you know, of the it's law. It's either they, right, by the letter or the law. And the Native Americans are saying, well, elsewhere you've indicated that you're a trustee for, for Native Americans. Right. And so we think your responsibility is wider. Uh, I'm not sure what my view on, on I mean, it, to me, it sounded like the court is making a reasonable interpretation of the treaty, mm -hmm. but whether it does also sound to me, especially from the dissent, as though the national government has several times indicated that it was going to try to make sure that Native Americans had a fair share of water resource, you know, they're in the Colorado River Basin. Right. And maybe the, maybe it has not stepped up to that responsibility, which I'm not sure is by treaty or not. Well, does, does the government have, and I, I understand Arizona's in this, so it looks like other states are in here. So are they all like asking? Four or five states. Are they yeah. all asking for distribution of the river? How, well, what is I mean, there, there are interstate compacts which currently govern, and, and you may, within the last month, have basically been renegotiated. Mm. Uh, essentially, you know, they, they've decided that if everybody gets their current allotment, there's going to be no Colorado there's River nothing. left. And so, but it, the Native Americans at least believe, and the thing gives some reason to indicate, that they have not quite had the seat at the table that they thought they would have had. 
And they, this is again, kind of like the, the other case, the adoption case Mm -hmm. where they seem to leave open another way for one of the parties. And in this case, the, the Navajo nation to make another claim for the, the rights to the water rights where they seem to say they left open the right to intervene in other water rights cases. So it, it seems like there have been multiple ones through the years, including one or two that were closed a decade or two ago. But it seemed to be saying, wink, wink, nod, nod, not this case, not this law, but go, you know, go hook up with that other case. Well, maybe. I don't know. I, I mean, it seemed to leave it open, and I'll be interested to see. Well, okay, and again, it's not this treaty, but can it be something else? Right. Again, the dissenters essentially say the the majority has it wrong. They don't even understand what the Native right. Americans are asking for. They're not really, you know, they're coming under this treaty because you haven't given them access through any other way. But that's really what they ought to be doing. Right. That's, but again, which side is right? I'm honestly not sure. Yeah, it just seems so so hard to even understand. And <laughs> sorry, do you, have you got your camera there? <laughs> yeah, it's the the light actually. Okay, um, it's it's one of those things where in law school, the, the Sandra De, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor opinions. It's like part two, a three, and and then they concur <laughs> with with extra exhibit twenty four two one. It, it's like one of those decisions. Is like is Justice O'Connor back? Because it's very confusing as to they agree in part on this and not on this. And then there's another. And it's like, what is the decision? That's, you know, one of my, I don't agree with him as much as I used to, but one of the justices that I really admired was Hugo Black because he always strove to write a decision that his father or grandfather were that, that a person who had not been to college would be able to understand. understand yeah. <laughs> and, you know, but that, that sometimes means then, you know, part of the law, a lot of the law is nuance. And, you know, the beauty of Scalia was, you know, you always remembered his dissents, but maybe right. sometimes we remembered them because they were a bit overstated. Uh, so. Yeah. Okay. So pending, those two seem to be semi Defined and finished, but still waiting in the wings. I, yeah. I will. I think the the equal protection part is going to come back up. I think that's where it's coming. Is is nice. when they try to adopt if they're denied um, that that would be the next case. But and, and again, you know, I, I, if it were me and I were trying to adopt, I think I would probably say I'm going to look elsewhere. And maybe you know, maybe that's yeah. part of the congressional intent, but. You know, the so question hard. is, are there are there enough Native, you know, maybe there are, you know, are there enough Native American families who can step up and take care of the need? I, I would, you know, I would assume that this is a problem that probably is greater among lower income, you know, less opportunity areas, maybe more likely to have to give up a child or not be able to raise it. Right. Uh, so anyway. Okay. So let's move to our final case for today. Allen versus Milligan. This is the Alabama redistricting case. Um, And this is another, I don't know what is up with the court. It's another where it's another 5-4 decision. And I don't understand. As as an attorney, I really don't understand what it did. 
it seemed to do something that did nothing. So well, help me my, here. It's it's an apportionment case, right? In which, as I understand it, congressional apportionment, I believe, congressional districts, right? Congressional and apportionment Alabama, of voting districts, right? And apportionment right now is usually left up to state legislators, and they, you know, typically have to do it every ten years after each census. And they've come up with a plan that leaves right now, as I understand it, there is one minority majority district, which is to say there's Correct. one district in Alabama where African-Americans dominate. And for better or worse, probably worse, uh, many Amer- you know, many whites will not vote for African-Americans and many African-Americans, given the choice between a black and a white, are going to choose a black. So my understanding is that the, the demography of Alabama has changed mm-hmm. so that they could now draw a second majority minority district. Okay. Um, but that they chose not to. And the court, as I understand it, says when we compare the reapportionment plans, the one that provides for two minority majority districts is actually as close to compactness, contiguity, historical uh, boundaries, the principles that one would generally apply, you know, and what the court has struck down on occasion, court has struck down a number of racially gerrymandered districts that look like it. Right. In other words, it looked like an ink blob. There, there was one case, I believe out of North Carolina, but I may be wrong on this, where the joke was, that for half the district, if you had gone down the center of the, if you had gone down a road with both your doors open, you would have wiped out half the population of the of the district because <laughs> the, the, there was this little little string connecting, you know, this nodule up here with this nodule here, and one down, you know, the the, the traditional. It was beyond a salamander; it was more like an octopus kind of <laughs> kind of configuration, and so. My So my understanding is the court, and again, claiming to interpret the, I guess it's probably the Voting Rights Act of, well, Correct. Voting Rights it's, Act of 65 has been yes. reaffirmed a, a number of times. And uh, specifically and, Section 2. Right. And, and you know, what's, what's to be remembered with, with, with the voting rights law? is that not only do you have the equal protection provisions of the 14th Amendment, but you also have the 15th Amendment, which was designed to provide voting rights to those who had been previously enslaved, so to African-Americans. And basically, the court is saying that their interpretation of the law is that when you can provide minority representation, that you know you're not bound to have complete proportional representation according to race, but where it is possible to construct two districts where African Americans have a good chance of winning the district as opposed to one, that you should do that. Okay. Uh, so again, now to go to the Native American case, and maybe I'm not completely consistent on this because here you would be taking race into account. Yeah. Uh, albeit. 
you know, you're doing so on the basis of two amendments, which as well, three amendments, if you count the 13th, mm -hmm. which eliminated slavery, which were specifically directed to protecting African and enhancing the rights of African Americans. Yeah, they were the they were the Civil War amendments, right? 13, That's 14, right. and 15 right. were created right. for African Americans. 1860, 1870. That's right. So, but it's but what's fascinating about it is, and I think we've discussed on this program before, and we'll say Russo, but I, I may be mis Rizzo, maybe I'm getting the wrong name here, but you know, there's there's an important case within the last two or three years where the court has said it's not going to oversee, <clears throat> well, not with very much scrutiny, oversee partisan gerrymandering, mm, okay. which means, <clears throat> you know, the party in power trying to either, there's two terms, what are they, cracking or... Compacting that their second term isn't right, but there's know. You, you know we're not we're not going to intervene simply because one party is trying to configure the districts to help them in the next election, and the basis is basically they think that this is just something that the that the courts don't have enough expertise to do, mm. and they're trying to avoid you know it's sort of the old political questions doctrine. We don't want to get involved in direct political issues. It's up to the political branches. The, the problem, of course, with declaring it a political question is that you then you then give sort of carte blanche to politicians to simply, you know, configure districts in a way that will help themselves rather than represent the true, you know, balance of, uh, of the state. So and so with this case, what is Alabama supposed to do based on this holding? Are they supposed to keep my, that district? My understanding, and, and you're right, there's a lot of complexities to it, but my understanding is the court says we've looked at this, you have a plan here more consistent with the Civil Rights Act or the, the Voting Rights Act, which gives you two districts rather than one. And so you need to go with those two. Hmm rather than just the one district. That's my understanding of it. Wow. Well, we'll see what they do. Okay, so yeah. thank you very much for being on here. This is extremely interesting. They're very detailed and complex, so... Yes, they are. I, I really feel like I'm not... I still am not quite sure what was decided, although I think I talked <laughs> like I did. Um, well, so maybe I'm did. not a good enough teacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think well, you we've were... we've only had a day or two to mull over some of these, so well, and that's give true. ourselves a little... Right, and at least one of them was like a 112-page decision. I'm like, oh, oh my yes. gosh, so... yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. You know, I think they space. are John Bile, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they writing write so much? That much? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. I You're am welcome. very much looking forward to next week, where we are going to hopefully find out about the affirmative action case, as well as a couple of others. And I know we have another special episode coming up on transgender issues and the ethical issues in the court. So stay tuned with us. Join us. Hope you had a wonderful happy hour that you grabbed a glass of wine and joined us. And we will catch you next week for the hottest legal topics of the week. I'm Virginia Tarani, and this is Dr. John Vile, and we will catch you next week.